Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. So what happened to me is um, a round of disappointment, disillusionment maybe in a way. And I think that people realize, but they're also discouraged by the fact that change doesn't happen overnight. In the summer of 2020, mass protests shook Bulgaria. Bulgarian citizens were calling for a stop to endless corruption in the country and a change in the political system. Since those protests two years ago, Four parliamentary elections have been held in the country, the latest of which took place October this year. However, following any of these elections, no party negotiations were able to grant a stable government to the country. A government that would implement the demand for change of its citizens. This week on Europe Talks Back, inside the political deadlock in Bulgaria. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We'll be right back. My name is Lutina Sidorova. I come from Bulgaria, from the town of Burgas, which is on the Black Sea coast in the eastern part of the country. I lived and worked there for more than 10 years as a project manager and consultant. And since 2018, I moved and I've been living in the Netherlands where I work for a Dutch non-profit called European Journalism Center, which supports media and journalism in Europe. Zlatina is one of hundreds of thousands of Bulgarians who currently work abroad in another European country. As we spoke about the current deadlock in Bulgarian politics, I asked her to look back at the mass protests against corruption of 2020 and how she felt about it. In spite of the rain, we're back again today because we have to do this. It had been quite a while since people actually protested in such large numbers so massively. And I think that was really encouraging to see that people needed, desperately needed some change and were ready to fight for it. I think that was just a tipping point when people had had enough of uh, corruption and of the country being labeled uh, the poorest and the most corrupt in Europe. In fact, the citizens of Bulgaria were calling for radical change. And one of the main targets of those protests was the, at the time, long-standing Prime Minister Boyko Borisov, leader of the political party GERB. Borisov had been ruling the country since 2009, but there was more to that protest. 
it has been quite a while since Bulgaria joined the European Union. It was in 2007. And somehow we have um, always, or I have uh, perceived it as the country has been an underdog in this uh, European club. So I think that uh, it was just a moment when people couldn't put up with it anymore. And change was imminent because otherwise we would uh, continue with that endless transition of ours. The mass protest of 2020 contributed the following year to what appeared to be the end of Boyko Borisov's political legacy. Although technically Borisov's party, GERB, won the parliamentary elections in April 2021, a relatively radical drop in its share of votes made it impossible to form a government. This led to a second election in July 2021, and something astonishing happened. I think uh, that after this uh, dramatic desire for change, People express their opinion in uh, quite uh, radical ways, if I may put it this way. Аз видях политическата система отвътре. И ще ви кажа следното. Там има основно лицемерие, лъжи. A newborn populist party. There is such a people, or ITN, led by musician and television host Slavi Trifonov won the contest. So to me it was a clear message like anyone else but not who used to be before. Yet Trifonov was unable to form a new government and likewise other parties that tried in his place. All of this led to a third election in November 2021. This is the man who's promised to make a difference. Kirill Petkov, one of two Harvard-educated economists whose party continue the change looks set according to preliminary results to lead an anti-corruption alliance. As a result, the centrist and anti-corruption party will continue the change, obtained a majority of votes. This time, the party leader, Kirill Petkov, was able to form a coalition government. And Petkov did strike an alliance with Trifonov's populist party. There's such a people. The establishment of this new coalition government appeared as a new dawn for Bulgarian politics. But once again, it was not. Only months later, in June 2022, Trifonov's There is Such a People Party pulled out of the coalition government, and Petkov's government failed to survive a vote of no confidence tabled by Boyko Borisov's GERB party. Bulgaria's government has collapsed after only six months in power, following a vote of no confidence by lawmakers. Hence, Bulgarian citizens were called to the ballot boxes for a fourth time within two years. In what appeared to be an almost Nietzschean eternal return, Boyko Borisov was able to secure a majority of votes. Yet, today, his party, GERB, is trying, without prospects of any success so far, to establish a coalition government. So, what does Zlatina take out of all of this incredible and torturous path Bulgarian politics undertook to just end up where everything started. So what happened to me is um, a round of disappointment, disillusionment maybe in a way. And I think that people realize, but they're also discouraged by the fact that change doesn't happen overnight. I think that um, people are very preoccupied with uh, basic problems, needs. We have uh, been plagued by economic hardships. I asked Zlatina what makes Bulgarian politics so different from what she sees in Western Europe. 
I think what makes the situation distinct is that we have always been, since joining the European Union, in a position of trying to catch up. And maybe at certain moments, people, Bulgarian society in general, just loses momentum and gets a little bit tired. So there is this uh, feeling among a certain part of the people that no matter who you vote for, there is already and there is always something happening in the background. Does Zlatina ever think about moving back to Bulgaria? I'm thinking about it constantly. And I do see myself as an expat. So staying in the Netherlands, I see as uh, something temporary. I like it so far. I'm not sure whether I will return to Bulgaria immediately after spending a few years here or whether I would like to try something different uh, first. Uh, but Bulgaria is home. This is how I and the rest of my family feel. We'll be right back. Tanya Lesenska is a policy analyst, expert in Bulgarian political analysis. Tanya was the program coordinator for the wider Europe program at the Sofia-based European Council on Foreign Relations. So this is me speaking to Tanya Lesenska. So we brought you in, Tanya, because in this podcast we discussed the deadlock in Bulgaria. I had the feeling that there was a momentum for change in Bulgaria with those protests in 2020, you know, and then it became clear that Borisov would kind of move towards some sort of end of his legacy. But then now it the elections really fragmented parliament and now he's more visible again. Is that change we had in 2020, that momentum for change, is that over already? I wouldn't say that it's completely over, not at all. The problem is that people are facing some socioeconomic issues that need to be addressed. So the rising cost of living, the cost of energy, etc. These are issues that bother people that have so far not been successfully addressed. And what is important now is um, people are talking whether we should have a coalition that reaffirms the geopolitical orientation of the country at the price of doing some anti-corruption measures. What exactly will happen? You know, I'm not a fortune teller, so I can't tell. One issue that we had is that a lot of this protest energy went into one of the parties called There Is Such a People, which was, I think, the first political party of one of the snap elections. Then it went to being the second, and eventually at this point that we are no longer represented in the parliament. So they kind of drove this energy into a dead end. And, you know, people are tired. So we're in this transition period for the last 30 years, and things are somehow maybe should be happening simultaneously. So simultaneously with anti-corruption measures, quality of life should be visibly increasing for people to, to believe. And I think people are also just worried about the upcoming winter and what that is going to mean. So let's see what actually happens and what the politicians make of it. Could you provide us an explanation of why Bulgaria has been in a political deadlock for months, if not years now? Yes, definitely. So generally, of course, the reasons are two layered. So one is events that are happening and the other one is just the political culture in the country that's always brewing underneath as a context. But basically what we had since the protests of 2020 are four parliamentary elections, one more election that was the presidential election, which was held last year. And the protests in 2020 were revolving around the theme of anti-corruption, mainly focused against three people. So the leader and prime minister at the time, Boyko Borisov from the party GERP, 
Delampevsky, who was a member of parliament of the Movement for Rights and Freedoms, also someone who was sanctioned under the Magnitsky Act by the US, and the prosecutor general Ivan Geshev. So then we had two parliaments in 2021 that failed to elect the government, and the third one produced a government led by We Continued the Change with Prime Minister Kirill Petkov, which survived for eight months. And inside of it, it had four parties. So We Continued the Change, Democratic Bulgaria, the Bulgarian Social socialists, and there is such a people. So the stability of the government was continuously undermined. So it was first undermined by those who stood to benefit from maintaining the status quo and not allowing the anti-corruption measures to succeed. But then it was also undermined by the Russian war against Ukraine, which polarized the society and highlighted significant red lines between the coalition parties. So eventually the government fell in a no-confidence vote, which was supported by GERP, the Movements of Rights and Freedoms, and there is such a people, which was one of the smaller coalition partners. So basically... We have a new parliament right now. I think it would be interesting to outline who is who in this parliament. Right. So the first place in these latest election goes to GERP. So they are a center-right party. They won 67 out of the 240 seats, which many of the analysts also consider as populist. The second place goes to We Continue the Change. They're a new liberal party. They're running on anti-corruption and they have 53 of those 240. Then we have the Movement for Rights and Freedoms, the so-called Turkish Minority Party. Often they're a kingmaker. And if you want to go into theory, they should be liberal because also their European Parliament family is ALDE. Then we have Revival. So this is the radical right-wing party, which also managed to double its vote since the last elections, but they also were not as su successful as they claimed they would be. So they're a populist party and they're definitely pro-Russian. So we also have this indication when we're talking about Bulgarian politics. Then we have the Socialist Party, they're conservative left, they're also pro-Russian. Then we have Democratic Bulgaria, which is a very complex coalition of parties. So they're center-right, liberal, and also Greens. They're also running on anti-corruption, they're seeking judicial reform, they're pro-EU, pro-NATO. That's the main things that you should know about them. And then we have Bulgarian Rise, which is a pro-Russian party and mostly an opportunist party. So I think what's important to keep in mind is that the topic of corruption has been very important and somehow how corruption and stability are counterweighted in this discussion. One of the data which always strikes me when we talk about Bulgaria, because it's something really out of the world, is the really low rate of voters coming to the, to the ballot boxes. So it would be great for once that we tackle maybe this question as a central element of, the, of, of an interview or discussion about Bulgaria. Why is that so? And can you help us contextualize this in history? Basically, just to put things into numbers, the turnout was just a bit above 37%, and the trend has been of decreasing participation. Just as a comparison, in April 2021, the turnout was 50%, and the one that we had now is the lowest since 1989. So I think people are experiencing an election fatigue. I think they're disengaged from political life. They don't believe that their vote matters. Obviously, not all of them, but the rest that didn't make it to the ballot box. The result 
for I do not support anyone is about 87,000 votes. And to put it in perspective, the last party that made the threshold to enter parliament got 115,000 votes. So that's a 30,000 vote difference, which is not a bit, but also, you know, those 90,000 people were not able to find anyone that can represent them. So they didn't see anyone as able to represent them. And they made sure that they went to the ballot box and stated that. Bulgarian politics in this last campaign were not really engaging. So politicians wouldn't actually debate policies, but they would just comment on the transgressions of their opponents. So they didn't really offer an alternative vision for the future. And I think this also played a role into the low turnout. So what has been the impact of the war on Ukraine in this specific election? The Russian war against Ukraine has been a significant topic of the last few months in Bulgaria, for sure. It has highlighted some dependencies that exist throughout the state infrastructure. It has highlighted the division within the people on the topic. The cabinet of Kirill Petkov, which governed until August, was torn between their own view as a pro-Western, pro-NATO, pro-EU, that of their coalition partner, Democratic Bulgaria, and the pro-Russian Bulgaria. Bulgarian Socialist Party, which was also in the coalition. And the Bulgarian Socialist Party actually vetoed the most decisive actions in support of Ukraine. So for example, Bulgaria welcomed refugees, but we ruled out military aid. But we were still exporting vast quantities of ammunition through intermediaries. The president usually does not have a lot of decision-making capacity in the Bulgarian political system, but has so far convened four interim governments. And the last one was making decisions such as cancelling deliveries of LNG from the US or attempting to negotiate with Gazprom again. And the president is trying to toe the line between being pro-NATO, but also it's quite visible that he is very pro-Russian. So in the debates last year leading up to the presidential elections, he just kind of said that Crimea is Russian. So that was a big red flag about where he lies. So, so this last interim government, through its actions, increased the fear of a change in the geopolitical orientation of the country. And many argued that this mechanism of interim government should be scrapped as it concentrates the power in the president. It also lacks checks and balances. The disinformation campaign is also running amok in Bulgaria. A lot of the information that reaches people is also not in line with the actual facts. But I think it's very important to mention that demonstrations in support of Ukraine were significantly larger than those that supported inaction. So we didn't have demonstrations that supported Russia. We had such that more or less promoted in action, but still many people believe that it's better not to anger Russia. With that being said, I think with the latest developments and the successes of the Ukrainian military, which are very hard to ignore, it becomes more visible that Russia doesn't really have anything to offer Bulgaria. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We'll be right back. You can follow Tanya on Twitter at Lesenska. That's L-E-S-S-E-N-S-K-A. And this is it for this week's episode of Your Talks Back. The producer of Your Talks Back is Antoine Lheureux. Sound design is by Jeremy Bouquet. 
Editing and Mixing is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kosberg. Promotion and Marketing by Katrin Skapadas. My name is Alexander Damianorici. We'll be back next Friday.